Everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. I mean, cancer isn't necessarily the worst part of it. The worst part of it is the treatment for it. So I survived the treatment, and therefore... I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. Cancer. It's a word that outside of one zodiac sign, no one wants to have associated with them. But what happens when you're told that you have this disease? Listen in as we share one young woman's story. My name is Heather Bucalos and I am a student in the Entrepreneurial Assistance Program for developing my business in a home nursing program. And I'm also a Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer survivor. Thank you, Heather, for joining me today. And I want to start out by talking about your kind of your journey in terms of the illness and how you were diagnosed, and if you could kind of tell that story. But also, as a relatively young woman, you've been diagnosed, and, and talk about that experience. Um, so I went in for a routine. GYN exam and I had some tests done for what was a suspected ovarian cyst and through a process of a few medical imaging studies, um, a CT scan accidentally or by happen chance found a tumor in my left mediastinum which is my left, left chest cavity. Uh, it was about the size of a Big Mac sandwich, 11 by 7 centimeters, and um, I had had symptoms over the summer of 2014, but the symptoms were not understood fully by my physician, so I was treated for a rash, and I was treated for chest pains due to anxiety, but what it was actually were all the accumulation symptoms of a very high um, inflammation process that the tumor was producing inflammatory responses and therefore those symptoms were all of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I had two biopsies, the last one was definitive, I had about four opinion, medical opinions and ended up starting chemotherapy treatment in an integrative cancer treatment center in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. So tell us about how the effect that it had on you personally. You must have been devastated, I would imagine, and how it affected your family as well. As I would believe that they would be the same. So I got the news actually while I was in my car. My doctor called me. I was uh, by myself in the parking lot of the hospital and I was going to go in to the ER because I was having chest pain and I had had all the diagnostic imaging tests that day but nobody would give me the results of the exams and I was waiting for hours and um, so I decided to take matters into my own hand and I was going to go to the emergency room and have them tell me the results of all the reports because I was tired of waiting and I knew that they would have to tell me the results 
as a nurse, I knew that they would have to tell me the results when I went in. So I had just parked and I received a phone call from my gynecologist who was the, uh, the doctor's group who had been doing all of the exams up to that point. And he asked me why I was at the ER and I told him I think there's something wrong with my heart because I'm still having chest pain and I don't know what's going on. And he said, well, you don't need to go to a cardiologist, you need to go to an oncologist because we think that you have lymphoma. And the moment that he said that my brain shut down and I couldn't really comprehend the rest of the words that he was saying because I think I went into uh, a form of like mental shock. And he asked me, well, you're a nurse, right? So I felt like he, felt that I could handle that news, but at that moment I was not a nurse anymore. I was now a patient and I had to do the best that I could to recall any information about lymphoma that I had gotten in nursing school, which I don't really remember that group of, that, that uh, diagnosis very well. So I was scrambling around for some paper in my car to write everything down on because he was talking so quickly. I found this bright neon notepad that I had thrown in my car and I had had this from elementary school probably. And I remember trying to write everything down that he was saying, but at the same time I was asking questions probably every other word like, okay, I know lymphoma means cancer, but what exactly does that mean? And um, so there was just a lot of confusion um, in the moment that he called me to tell me this. And of course I was alone, so I couldn't really get anybody else's input about what questions I should ask at that very moment. And so I got off the phone and again I was still in shock and I just knew that I was going to have to start putting things into place and making doctor's appointments and um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to focus at all the next day so the first person I told was my boss and um, I was probably okay with doing this because that day they, my doctors were constantly calling me to go back over to the hospital because I worked as a nurse in the office that was across the street from the hospital. So that day they, the doctors had kept telling me we need you to go for a chest x-ray and then I would come back to work and then they would call me again we need you to go for a CT scan so I'd have to go back to the hospital so my bosses were really understanding and kept letting me leave work to go do that so I called them first actually and told them that I wouldn't be in the next day and then I called my parents and I told them but um, surprisingly they didn't come down to where I was, which was about 45 minutes away, and it was probably about 7.30 at night by then. Um, so I felt pretty alone at that time. Um, but I ended up going to the ER anyway, and I waited for a few hours to get in, and a friend from work came, and my boyfriend at the time came, and so that's how everything got started. Okay. So, you've been diagnosed with lymphoma. Now you have to go through the process of treatment. Mm -hmm. 
and before I ask you to, to tell us about your whole treatment process, mm -hmm. do you consider in hindsight being a nurse to your advantage or was it to your disadvantage? I think a little bit of both. It was to my advantage because I knew which people were in charge of which things. So for example, I knew that my GYN doctor was in charge of writing a referral to the oncologist and I knew that the first person to get the information was probably the receptionist and so I knew that my records had to be transferred and this needed to take time. But at the same time, um, thinking about it as a pa in a patient's perspective, I wanted everything to be done immediately and I wanted every, I had hoped that everybody had been in the loop um, and reality wasn't necessarily the same uh, in the fact that when I called to make my first oncology appointment they didn't know who I was, they didn't have my information and that was really frustrating from both a nurse and a patient standpoint. Um, but through the whole process, I think that being a nurse helped me to feel comfortable with um, asking questions, even, even if it meant putting myself in a vulnerable position because the providers didn't either didn't want to answer the questions or they didn't feel comfortable or they didn't want to order certain tests that I was pushing them to order so in one sense it was good because I I knew that I had to advocate for myself and I was kind of in the beginning I kind of acted like the nurse for myself I could kind of separate two entities of myself and that's how I kind of compartmentalized my feelings about being sick I didn't think like oh what was me I thought okay okay the nurse inside of you is in charge of taking care of the patient that is inside of you and the nurse inside of you is going to make sure that you're fine so don't be worried don't be scared you just need to do things to take care of yourself that and we're gonna deal with it interesting that's interesting how you were able to pull that part of yourself out and kind of extract that part from you to be able to help you towards recovery so talk about the treatment process what happened uh, the treatment process actually didn't start right away so there was about um, so I found out that I had this tumor in the beginning of October and I didn't actually start treatment until the beginning of December and the reason for that is that um, my first biopsy they didn't they weren't able to extract the best part of the tumor, so I had to wait longer. I had to get a referral to another surgeon. That surgeon was out of the country. Then we decided to go to Upstate in Syracuse. They did a biopsy. Their biopsy was inconclusive. They started telling me, well, it could be something totally different. Maybe it's not cancer. And so then I started getting worried because the things that they were telling me there was no treatment for, there was no cure for. And so then we decided to go to Buffalo or Rochester, I can't even remember now. But we went to a third place and I, I had the biopsy transferred 
and their pathologists were the ones who actually got the diagnosis. Um, the next day after we went to either Buffalo or Rochester, we ended up going to Chicago. We drove through a snowstorm, we drove 12 hours through a snowstorm to go to this integrative cancer center. When we were there, we got the phone call from New York saying, okay, we're 95% sure that this is what it is. And then that kind of got the ball rolling for what is the treatment going to be like. So um, before treatment could even start, I had to have uh, a Metaport placed um, to receive the chemotherapy. And so that was um, a small invasive surgery that placed a little metal um, device in my chest and there was a tube that connected it to one of my uh, large blood vessels in my neck so that the chemotherapy wouldn't destroy my small veins. So that was the first uh, procedure of treatment. That same day, um, I started the treatment process with a high dose of vitamin C IV infusion and I also had an infusion of iron because my iron was too low. Um, I remember the first day of treatment I was so weak that I couldn't even take the stairs because the tumor was taking up so much of my um, nutrients and energy and I was really really tired all the time and I would get um, out of breath even taking the stairs. So the beginning of treatment was probably the hardest. There were a lot of unknowns. We had to go through all of the medications um, one by one with the doctors to get the possible side effects and the possible um, risks of each one before actually taking the medication. I had to take oral medication to prevent um, uh, reaction, possible reaction. Um, I did an iron infusion the day before, I can't remember, but um, so that was, that was the start of treatment. So it's not as easy as just going in for chemo one day. It's a lot of preparatory work and understanding what's going to happen. Um, the good thing is that where I went, it was an integrative center. They had a lot of uh, nutritionists to help. They had a massage therapist. They had a social worker. They had uh, Reiki. So there were a lot of um, people that really tried to understand mentally where I was coming from as well and not just physically. Let me ask you this because you're on the other side of that treatment. You are actually in remission now, right? Mm -hmm. So I had six months of four different kinds of chemotherapy and uh, I had my last dose May of 2015. So now um, one of the things that I know in a previous conversation that we had was that you mentioned that your availability of resources while you were going through this treatment were numerous and you just mentioned a few of those things that you had access to and now that the treatment is over now you find yourself kind of in the dilemma of trying to find access to other services that you may need now post treatment. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, when I was 
done with chemo, I started going back to my regular primary care doctor. Actually, before I was done, I started going back to my regular primary care doctor who wasn't even aware of anything that was going on because uh, there was an issue with communication in his office. So that was the first kind of frustration that I felt as a patient um, in kind of being dropped out of the system, so to speak. Then he was really far away from where I actually lived. So then I transferred my care to a primary care provider who was closer, but he ended up admitting to me one day that he didn't really know what to look for in someone who was in remission. He didn't know what signs to look for for relapse. And so that was frustrating in the fact that if I had any symptoms or abnormal symptoms, even if I told my oncologist during my um, every three month visits at Upstate, she would tell me, well, talk to your primary care doctor about it and see what they say. When I would do that, the primary care doctor would say, well, I don't really know what I'm looking for. And so that was another frustration. And uh, I was really out of shape from the effects of the chemo on my muscles. And I had taken, kind of taken things into my own hands and I was working at uh, orthopedic and sports medicine clinic and I decided that I was going to start exercising again and getting uh, more, getting stronger again. Because basically I had been in bed for almost six months from the side effects of the new Lasta and feeling very weak and the chemo making me weak and um, not being able to eat normal food so kind of being malnourished in a way um, and definitely my electrolytes and, and uh, different things being off balance but so I started going to physical therapy I started working with them I started running again and so I felt like I was really taking control of my own health so to speak again a lot a lot of the things that if I had anxiety about uh, different um, different symptoms I would tell my GYN who originally found the tumor or I would tell my primary care doctor and they would just say well you know just ask the oncologist and then the oncologist would say well just ask your primary care provider so it, I kind of felt like a ping-pong ball a lot of the times well, this, so you took it upon yourself to really get yourself back to to good health and how's, how's that been going in terms of exercise has been the most beneficial thing for me um, I ended up having some uh, abnormal heart rhythms about in March and the only time that those go away are when I'm running and I've had a test done where I'm where I'm hooked up to an EKG before during and after running and I and I know that I have them before and after but not during so that is actually helping my heart um, I think it definitely helps my mental state because when I'm running, I feel strong, and I I know what I've been through, and I can see where I've come to this point now, and I know that I know what I've done to get there. So
so I can see, okay, well, you put in the effort, then you're going to get a result. And you put in more effort, you're going to get a greater result. You change what you put in, you're going to get a different outcome. So I think that whole mindset really helps me to know that I'm in control of my health, even though I have these doctors and they try to help me as best as they can. I know that I have to be my number one healthcare advocate. Okay, very good. Let me ask you this, how is this whole experience and kind of springing boarding off of what you just said, I could say how else has this experience changed your outlook, your perspective on life? Um, it's interesting in that you ask that because before I was diagnosed, I was actually on antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication. And through the process of being treated and having a lot of social support during the time that I was physically sick helped me to know that I had a bigger support system emotionally and financially in people that I couldn't necessarily see directly around me um, and that actually helped with my mental health as well um, and having something taking the time out of the everyday routine of life and really being able to focus on myself and taking care of myself for six months and knowing that um, my job was to take care of myself and and do things for myself that kind of empowered me and it was almost like I knew exactly what I had to do there was a time frame and there was a light at the end of the tunnel and that once all of these things were done and once this six months was over I was gonna be better and so I actually weaned off all of my antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication by the time, um, I would say a few months after the end of my treatment. Going through the treatment and, and having to take care of myself taught me that I really need to pay more attention to myself and I think that's what was um, kind of causing the issues beforehand is that I wasn't doing that so it was actually really beneficial in, in that aspect but um, as far as how it makes me look at the world so that's how it makes me look at myself different how it makes me look at the world differently is I have more compassion and less compassion sometimes so um, I have a better understanding of what cancer patients go through not all cancer treatment or diagnoses are the same so of course some are uh, different. Some have surgery, some don't, some have longer chemo, some have radiation, some just it's different, some is more painful, some is less invasive. So, But I can definitely understand the fear and the anxiety that people go through. Um, and, But at the same time, I've really been able to um, kind of have a perspective of problems now so whereas I used to think that something was a huge problem like a 10 on a scale of 0 to 10 where 0 is not a big deal and tens of I think it's the worst thing ever some of those um, 
some of the things on that spectrum have changed now based on the way that I look at things. And so if I'm not dying, if it's not killing me, then and I can get through it, then it's not that bad. For your family, as, as it, how has this have affected them, maybe even your relationship with them? Has it, has it had any effect? Yeah, so in the beginning, um, I think that my, at least my immediate family, my, my two parents who were really involved in my treatment, um, I don't think they realized how, how much we were all going to have to work together on this. And for most of the past 10 years, I've lived out of state and we've all kind of dealt with our issues separately kind of, but now we had to work together. Um, they had to help me with financial issues. They had to help me navigate the insurance part of it. Um, my dad actually helped me to find, well, he knew about the Integrative Cancer Treatment Center in Chicago, and so he was the one that really wanted me to go there. Um, and he wanted me to go there based on what he knew about it. So I think the whole experience really brought us together, brought us closer together in the end because it was something that we all had to work on together. My mom, she probably felt like she was taking care of a child again in a, in a way because I was in pain a lot of the time. And one time I was in so much pain that she crawled into bed with me and kind of just laid with me while I was <laughs> moaning and rocking back and forth. But um, it definitely takes you to a place of compassion with your family if you weren't as close before. There are certain things that you have to do. It makes you have to work together to um, get to common to get to a point if you're working on something together, whether it be a financial issue or, you know, medication issue or if I'm just sick and someone needs to stay with me. And so I think our communication is better because we had to communicate more often and about very sensitive issues. So it sounds like you all as a family found a common goal. The common goal being your health, your healing, and you know, well, fortunately found common ground in that and was able to work together mm -hmm. as, a, as a unit, as a family, towards that goal. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, my mom um, was diagnosed with Lyme's disease right, right after I was diagnosed with um, lymphoma, and so she was dealing with that um, on top of another chronic illness which made the treatment of the Lyme disease all that much more complicated. So we're actually dealing with two issues, two health issues at the same time. So um, my dad actually had to take me to some of my treatments and so that kind of helped us become closer and I think maybe with him and my mom, with her situation, helped them become closer and so we all realized like if we don't have our health, if we don't take care of each other, we won't have each other to rely on for other things. So I think it brought us back to ground zero as a starting point and saying like, you know, 
we need to really take care of each other first and foremost in life in general. Well, that's very uh, important lesson to learn. Yeah, sometimes families learn that much earlier than later, but or they learn it in different um, different uh, experiences. Some experiences are uh, more dynamic and and stronger than others, but. For us, this didn't happen till now, so that's our story, okay. <laughs> family story. Okay. So let me ask you about this business that you are in the process of creating and starting. And did your experience, did this illness have anything to do with um, motivating you and starting it? Um, well, I knew that I wanted to start a business like this before I was sick. I actually started taking some entrepreneur courses in 2012, but I was always putting it on the back burner for a job that made, brought in an income and um, kind of kept, kept my bills paid, so to speak. But when I was finishing treatment and I was feeling better before I went back to work, I started getting serious about, and I, and I had the time and the energy, the mental energy to actually think about it since I wasn't working every day. And having that time to actually really think about it and make the decision that this is something that I want to do definitely had to do with my um, the health situation. And like I said before, if, it's, if I'm not dying, if it's not killing me, then I can do it. And I decided that um, I've gotten, I survived, I mean cancer isn't necessarily the worst part of it. The worst part of it is the treatment for it. So I survived the treatment and therefore I have the energy, I have the life, I have the motivation. I'm gonna try to do this. I got my certification that I needed at the time. And I said, what I'm doing right now, do I really wanna spend eight hours of my awake time during the day doing what I'm doing, knowing what I've been through? Is this really what I wanna spend my time doing? Or do I wanna do what I really wanna do and take that risk because I'm still here, so why not try it? That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about the business itself. So as a registered nurse and uh, previous experience in obstetrics and labor and delivery, I want to uh, develop a, a service for moms who when they're discharged from the hospital, they have a nurse available at home. So I would be a visiting nurse and I would come help them with issues that they might experience after delivery as far as breastfeeding goes. Um, so I'm in the initial stages of starting that service business. Do you have any information or any, is there a website that people can look up or a phone number that they can call if they want to find out more information? Um, I have a Facebook page that I post health information on right now. So the business isn't started. I, I don't do any home visits as of right now. But uh, the Facebook page is under my first and last name. Um, 
and my credentials are CBC, which is Certified Breastfeeding Counselor and Certified Childbirth Educator, uh, which is on Facebook. One last question that I have, knowing that you know peers, people, individuals around your age, young individuals like yourself who have uh, similar diagnosis. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you've noticed about their experiences and what they're uh, dealing with? I feel like I've met a lot of people in the 20 to 35 or 40, 40 even age range who are either survivors in remission or they're in treatment or I've known them um, from treat in my old treatment facilities and they've now since passed on and one thing I, I've noticed is that a lot of the young people they get involved in organizations that are closely related to the type of cancer that they had and in order to um, bring about awareness to the disease and to raise money for research um, a few of my friends who've had this disease have relapsed and have needed stem cell transplants. So a lot of the focus, even for myself, is promoting stem cell transplant awareness and raising awareness for um, bone marrow donors. The other thing, the other issue that comes to mind as far as um, young cancer survivors is it doesn't feel like there are the same resources for young cancer survivors or even young cancer patients. I noticed that there's a lot of resources for breast cancer survivors, mainly I think because breast cancer is a well-known cancer it's, um, in the media quite a bit. Um, there's a huge industry based around breast cancer awareness. Um, but I don't feel like there's a lot of support groups or support networks uh, in place, or nonprofit organizations, I should say, that are specifically for young adult cancer survivors. There's a couple. One I know of is in the Midwest. Um, there are a few that are funded by insurance companies, which makes me a little bit wary of their true mission, so to speak. But their motive. Their, their motives, their yeah, motive. exactly. Um, but the, the other issue that I've noticed is, and I've had two friends who, one was in her very early 20s, one was in his mid to later 30s. Both were not married. Both had their parents helping them with their treatment um, a lot but they passed away and maybe it was just my perception but their their lives in my opinion were not able to be celebrated as if they could have been in a different situation so because they passed away from either their treatment or from the disease itself it seemed like the celebration of their life of being here 
wasn't fully done. I don't know the right word. It, the their life didn't have their life definitely had meaning, but the the celebration of their life and the getting together of people to do that or to remember them seemed cut short because they were dealing with the disease process and it was so sudden, their deaths were sudden in the fact that they weren't old, they weren't, it wasn't like people had a lot of time to prepare for their passing um, and it wasn't really something that their family wanted to do because they wanted them to get better, they wanted them to survive, they wanted them to be cured. So to plan for their parting is not something they wanted to do. And when you don't want to do something, it generally doesn't get done. And I feel it's a little bit sad for the person because I feel like a lot of times when the person's older, they take they know that it's coming sometimes more more so it seems. And they have a voice and they can say this is what I want done in case I pass away this is my these are my wishes um, they may have a will they may have wishes for how they want their life celebrated as well even someone who's not sick I feel like if young people made the decisions of how they want their life celebrated in case something happened to them it would be really beneficial for their family members, for people around them uh, to kind of know what to do and it would actually take the burden away from their away from their parents. I think if someone wants to celebrate even little things, even little accomplishments, okay, I, I finished chemo, that's a great accomplishment. Um, next I have to do radiation so sometimes people want to celebrate those things as they're happening as they go along and it doesn't necessarily have to be a celebration of all the things and every aspect of their life after they've passed on but I think a lot of people also want to celebrate um, the challenges that they've overcome as well even in that disease process. Well, Heather McCullough, aspiring entrepreneur and cancer survivor, thank you for having me interviewed. No problem. Thank you for the interview. To learn more about cancer, you can go to the American Cancer Society website at www.cancer.org or call our local chapter at 315-437-7025. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.